Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back, everyone, to Reconsider, part of the Agora Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. And today is a bit of a break-in episode. It's timely. It's midterm mania, where we're going to give you a bit of a leg up going into the polls this November. Midterms are an interesting sort of beast, because in a lot of ways, the outcome of midterms really impacts your life far more closely and more immediately than do presidential elections. Yeah. And, you know, when we look at the difference between presidential cycles and midterm cycles, you know, there's so much more attention paid during the presidential cycle that, you know, it seems like the impact is bigger. And one of the big differences, of course, is that the president is getting elected. But we tend to ignore all these really important from local and national races that are on the ballot and at stake during these midterms. And so here's just a taste of what people are going to be voting on this November. One third of all Senate races, which doesn't change during a presidential term or a presidential election year. It's always a third of Senate races. 100% of the House races, which happens every two years. And typically most of your local elections, city and state representatives, ballot referendums, positions such as judge, school board, and then usually depending on your state, either a few or quite a few ballot measures or referendums that, you know, will become law based on your vote. And all these things affect your life quite a bit, both at the national and the local level. And despite the fact that these things impact your life quite a bit, voter turnout for midterms is generally notoriously low. So, for example, presidential elections often get maybe around 60% of all registered voters, whereas midterms only get around 40%. And this actually bottomed out in 2014 at 36% voter participation. But it looked like it's going to inch up a little bit more in 2018 because according to Pew Research, the turnout, the voter turnout during the primaries in June was actually a little bit higher. So they're anticipating that turnout for the midterms itself will also be higher. So On the one hand, this low voter turnout can be a little discouraging because people aren't voting about things that matter. But on the other hand, if you're like most Americans, uh, you've fallen into the common despair that your vote is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. It's just lost in the sea, especially if you live in a state that's strongly red or strongly blue. 
you voted and, you know, it didn't, your vote certainly wasn't the one that put things over the line. But midterms can be a powerful antidote to that feeling. Because so few people vote in midterms, your vote actually has a far outsized weight compared to the presidential cycle elections. Suddenly, you're a much less irrelevant voter than you used to be. Hooray, I'm less irrelevant than I thought. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it, despite this greater relative impact that each vote has in midterm elections, especially in local elections, most people tend to be a lot less familiar with the state or municipal or city level propositions and candidates that are going to be on the ballot in November compared to the things that are going on at the national level, for example, during a presidential cycle. And this is in large part just due to a lot more advertising and media coverage that comes into play in those bigger nationwide and especially presidential elections. Yeah, and perhaps not surprisingly, given that the media and advertising are throwing a lot less buzz and information at you, voters tend to feel a little bit less informed during the midterms than they do during the presidential cycle. So besides voting you know, typically a party line, at the national level, for some people, a lot of people who don't tend to vote party line, you know, struggle to be able to describe in detail exactly what each of the candidates are up to and what they really care about. So it's almost a rational response to this ignorance to not want to go to the polls and just vote random. And what this means is that during a midterm or for any local election or really for any election, but in particular during these elections that don't get as much buzz, in order to be able to vote in an informed way, we need to do a little bit more work to go find you know, in the information we need to be able to make a decision. Frequently, people don't know where to go for good information other than a candidate's own website, which, by the way, tends not to give very good information. It just gives the information that the candidate wants you to know. And so the result is either that people don't bother to vote in midterms, so they wait until you know, a week or a couple days before the election to begin researching the issues of the candidates and scramble. And if you're in a state such as California, which Xander's stuck in, I don't know why he hasn't moved yet, but... <laughs> To, to the so socialist paradise of, of Boston? Well, I mean, at least it doesn't burn down every year as part of the, you know, the great cleanse so that it can be born anew as a somewhere between a moth and a phoenix. But <laughs> anyway, that was a pretty good takedown. Nice. So anyway, while Xander is burning him, you know, being burned alive in California, somehow the poor residents of this fire-filled dystopia have found time to put together a whole 12 state propositions in November, which excludes the city and county propositions, which is their which are their own thing. So Xander has to figure out how he feels about 12 different laws that he and all the other toasty, charred denizens of the state are now responsible for making law about. That's a lot of work to do in a short period of time. And so even for people who want to take the time to be informed to do their research, the sheer amount of effort involved to be informed, especially if you're just running around looking for answers at random, means that people are going to put it off long enough that it never gets done. And they'll either just vote party line, vote how their friends tell them to, or not vote, 
leaving the outcome of these important propositions and elections for different positions to the people who have deeper vested interests in what's going on. Now, if you're if you're like me, you're you're frustrated by the fact that in California we have so many propositions and Maybe I'm letting my my own opinion sneak in a little bit here, but maybe you're frustrated about all the fires. I'm I am very frustrated about all the fires. There's there's a lot of poor people who have lost their their homes, and a lot of people who have been killed in these things. It's really tragic, and they're happening every year now on a bigger scale. But there's nothing I can vote on in the midterms that will f- fix the fire. Well, maybe there's really nothing that we can we can vote on that will make the fires go away. I'll say that, but. You know, on some level, it feels to me like the whole point of having representatives is it is their full-time job to make an informed decision on the behalf of the voters on things like water infrastructure bonds. But now, you know, the voters have to do this on 12 different propositions. Actually, one was removed. So it's it's 11 state propositions now. And it's just these things take time, especially if you want to be somewhat informed about it. So. Here at Reconsider, if you're a repeat listener, you have heard us say it over and over again, we don't do the thinking for you. If you're a new listener, you might be wondering what exactly that means. It means that we really do our best to not tell you what we think about issues. The whole goal is to try to offer ways to do research differently, to provide context so that you can make up your own mind. So with this show, which is explicitly about elections, how could we possibly not be telling you well to think? Well, we want to do two things with the midterm show. One, we want to point out, as we've already have done, that looking into some of these issues is going to take time. So why not start now, a month out from the elections, rather than the week or two days before? That way you're not rushing it. You will feel better about the decision you make. Second, we want to give you some ideas about how to research issues in your own state or local election. Because Unlike national issues, not everyone is going to be aware of state or local issues. And the decisions may not lie as clearly along party lines as national issues, which a lot of people use to just sort of, you know, determine their vote for them. So in other words, it is actually the perfect opportunity to form a completely independent opinion on an issue from the ground up without prior influence from all the talking heads and competing narratives out there. So that's kind of cool. That is cool. But it's also kind of scary. Hey, wait a minute. In 2016, you know, I knew how I was going to vote long before the election. And, you know, my friends all were on the same page and all the media I read was on the same page. And I definitely knew exactly how I was going to vote. And, and everyone who wasn't voting with me was a maniac. So now, now we're in the wilderness, guys. We've got to form our own positions on something without our social groups or our tribe telling us what to think. And you may or may not get social approval for the position you take. It's going to take some courage to be able to do this. So if you're ready, let's dive in. I'm ready, I think. Oh, boy. (laughs) So... First things first, you need to know what's on the ballot and who's on the ballot, right? Different states, different localities vote on different things. All of you will be voting on congressional representatives to the U.S. House of Representatives. But besides that, it's going to vary zip code by zip code. And so where on earth can you figure out what's even at stake 
in your voting area this November? Well, one way is a lot of local entities like the city of Los Angeles, for example, or the state of California, they, they have websites where you can go and, and look this up. Sometimes it's a little hard to track those down. Uh, sometimes the websites aren't laid out super well. One place you can go that sort of compiles all of this for you is called Ballot Ready. So we are not affiliated with Ballot Ready. We just think it's a useful tool for quickly finding out what issues you're going to have to vote on, which issues and candidates. So Ballot Ready will tell you your entire ballot just by entering your zip code. So it's very handy. It lets you look up all the different issues and candidates that you're going to have to vote on individually. Yep. So you'll have a good sense of not only what races are at stake, but you'll also know who's actually running. And so, you know, sometimes people will be running unopposed if you're in a particularly red or blue area. Sometimes there will be four or five different candidates of different parties all running. And you're definitely going to want to be aware of that long before you ever walk into the voting booth. One thing you're definitely not going to do is learn the entire life history and every voting record of everyone who's running for the different positions that you're voting on. I mean, maybe you can do it and more power to you if you can. But if you're like most of us, you're not going to be able to. So to some extent, you do need to rely on some proxies to be able to make decisions about these candidates and these issues. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. What you want to do is be as informed as you can be. And you need to, one, look to some trusted sources about you know who these candidates are and what's important about them. And two, be able to look at like summaries and aggregates that can point you in a direction based on things that you already know and trust. And so what we want to do is find detail on the candidates and issues without being swamped with every single data point to the point that it's going to take you a full-time job to be able to make your decision. So one way to do this is state and local newspapers. And, you know, this can be anything from the LA Times, which is applicable applicable to me because I live in Los Angeles, to very local papers for smaller towns. Now, that doesn't mean that you go to, say, the LA Times and just read their position and vote according to whatever they say. I mean, some people do, but there are other ways to use the information that these papers are publishing. For example, reading the local paper's commentary on the issues will begin to give you a sense of what some of the contentious aspects of that issue may be, why different people support different sides. It just it's one way to be quickly introduced to a little bit of context without having to do like a deep dive by reading, say, the actual bill itself. So that's one great place to go. And then there are a few online resources that are, you know, nonprofit projects that are designed specifically to help voters be more informed. One of those that, you know, we mentioned already is called Ballot Ready. So it's brand new this year. So it's it's actually... It's got a slick new user interface and actually a great way to navigate, but to some extent, it's actually short on material because they're launching for the first time. So you can think of Ballot Ready as like a central repository to get started. Go put in your zip code at ballotready.org. It will tell you where to begin and point you in some of the right direction. Another resource that you can use and I have used is called Ballotpedia, like Wikipedia, but Ballotpedia, again, .org. And what they tend to do is actually go pretty deep into issues from the top down. 
So at the, you know, above the fold tends to be summaries about an issue like a referendum or a candidate. And then you can get deeper and deeper into it as you scroll down. Just like a regular wiki, there is some public input, but a lot of moderation in order to try to keep things from becoming, you know, just propaganda machines one way or another. And so here, for example, with referendums, you can learn kind of a Wikipedia style understanding of the impact of the referendum passing or not passing. You can learn who's endorsing it. And you can similarly do deep dives on each candidate about some key moments through their lives and experience. You can learn a little bit about their voting record, especially on big issues that you know get a lot of attention. And you can also learn who's endorsing each of those candidates. So you actually have some pretty good proxies about what these different referendums are standing for and what they actually mean and where candidates stand on a bunch of issues that you probably care about. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, I like Ballotpedia quite a bit because I think they do generally a pretty good job at being neutral. And by that, I mean they, for any given proposition, they will go out and collect really quite a lot of information on both the support and the opposition. And for example, they will provide links to published critique pieces or support pieces in all of these different local and state newspapers that might have published these things already, but which otherwise might be difficult to find. As Eric mentioned, they have information on funding from the support and opposition sides. So it's really a great place to go for a snapshot on a single issue. And I think that's actually a really good transition because as we're doing research on candidates and referendums, we need to be able to look out for certain things that can lead us astray and also look for good indicators to understand what's going on below the surface and who's funding a referendum is one of those things that you want to look for below the surface that you might otherwise miss because propositions can be pretty tricky. The people funding them and trying to get them on the ballot and passed know that most people will do, you know, very little in the way of research beyond reading the name of the proposition and the short blurb that accompanies it on the ballot. And so in order to get you to want to vote for it, the name and the blurb are going to be designed to sound quite attractive. And therefore, they can also be quite misleadingly named and imply one thing and do something else or imply the good thing that's designed to come out of it without talking about the cost or the consequences. So 
besides diving deeper into, you know, what are the potential effects based on different people's arguments, you also want to figure out who is funding these because the people funding them tend to have a vested interest in them passing or not passing, often a monetary interest. There was a friend of mine who said that every referendum has Baptists and bootleggers backing it. So you've got uh, what that means is you've got the people who are backing it for, you know, their you know religious or otherwise political and noble purposes. And then the people who are making a buck if it passes or not. Good example is marijuana legislation. So if people are voting to legalize marijuana as a commercial good, of course, there will be people funding the, the pro side of the referendum that want to sell marijuana products. And who might be voting against marijuana legalization? Well, in some states, there are private prisons that get paid by the occupied bed. And sometimes those private prisons have funded anti-marijuana legalization campaigns. So you have people with vested economic interests in either direction funding these things. So then there's the issue of fiscal and budgetary responsibility. It's very easy for a politician to borrow money today to fund projects that will then enhance his popularity, but then leave repaying all of that pesky debt to one of his successors. So therefore, a single proposition may sometimes seem reasonable with respect to the state's total budget, but you have to consider all of the planned increases that could potentially pass at any given moment. You can't really just look at them in isolation. And that sort of information you're not going to find on the blurb for only one single proposition. You kind of need to take a holistic view. So then on the flip side to that, there are often politicians who will oppose some of these spending bills, specifically bills that raise debt for some project or another. They'll, they'll criticize these bills, not always for what the money is being spent on. So say it's a water infrastructure project. They're not going to say, oh, you know, the water infrastructure isn't good. They're going to say, oh, well, we already have too much debt. We can't take on more debt. And the argument often goes something like this, you know, oh, well, if the politicians in power actually cared about the issue, you know, they fund it out of the budget and not raise more debt in order to pay for it. And the idea is just, you know, it's easier for politicians to force repayment on debt onto subsequent generations rather than take responsibility here now themselves and, you know, take it out of the budget at the expense of something else. And, and this, by the way, is totally true and happens all the time. But the argument is also sort of a red herring because the entire purpose of project financing, especially stuff like infrastructure that is very expensive and takes a lot of money to get going off the ground, is to allow projects to go forward that cost way more than any current budget, even if you know it's a well-managed budget, could allow for. But that may be totally doable and affordable in smaller installments over time. That's what financing is. It's the reason banks exist at all. So take both of these types of arguments with a little bit of caution. Just be on the lookout for them. And then the last thing that on a referendum or a candidate I like to look for is who's endorsing them. And there are a lot of organizations that, you know, endorsement is sort of part of their job. They sit there and go, we stand for this issue. We stand for, you know, this direction of government in general. And we're, you know, we're sort of a clearinghouse for a particular political ideology. And so 
we're going to run around endorsing who we think best advocates for that political ideology. So whether it's the ACLU or the NRA or Greenpeace or Planned Parenthood or, you know, a a sort of Christian pro-life group, those endorsers, what they're trying to do is say, look, you can do the research on us about how we feel about issues once. And then we're going to give our seal of approval to candidates and issues that we think advocate for the things that we really care about or have a good record on the things that we really care about. So if you agree with us as a political organization, then you're likely going to agree at least on certain issues with the candidate or the referendum that we are endorsing. And so endorsements can actually be very powerful. You know, it's certainly not always enough for two reasons. One, you know, a lot of these organizations are one issue organizations. So they're going to endorse whoever fits that one issue well. And they may go ahead and try to make arguments about their fitness on other things, but it's not really their expertise. And then the other thing to keep in mind is that each of these groups has needs beyond what it's advocating for. The things that the thing that it needs is money, right? So during endorsements, what you'll often see from nonprofits that depend on your donations is a lot of fear mongering or anger mongering, because as we know from books such as Wedged written by some smart guy, well, one thing that works in politics is you make people afraid or angry. They're more likely to act and in particular vote with their pocketbook. So just be careful of the rhetoric that's being used by the endorsers. So lastly, then there's this issue of judges. Sometimes, depending on where you live, depending on the municipality, you have to vote for judges. And that might seem like sort of a strange thing because, you know, politicians are supposed to represent the people. They're in, it's firmly in the legislative part of the government. And their goal is to enact policies that represent what their constituents want. This is not the case with judges. No, judges no. are, no, they're, they're not, not meant to enact policies. Mm-mm. They are not meant really to represent the will of the people. They are meant to interpret law. They are the judiciary branch. They are not the legislative branch. So how are voters supposed to go about even determining which judge has been has a better understanding or interpretation of the law, especially if you're not an attorney? I'm going to be honest. I have no idea. Well, exactly. Luckily, it turns out we reconsider have a whole episode on voting for judges back from October 2016 for the 2016 elections. So all of the detail that we lay out there is still totally relevant now. So if you don't even know why you're voting for judges, let alone how to go about evaluating them, check out that episode. We'll include the link in the show notes, as well as links for all the other stuff we're talking about this show, like Ballot Ready and Ballotpedia. So a few things I want to add about judges besides telling you to go listen to that episode, in part because I'm not sure you will but in part because I think they're important to bring up here and and might get you excited about going to listen to that episode. One thing that Xander mentioned was, you know, it's not a judge's job to write law or even care about policy. Judges don't do policy. At least they shouldn't do policy. This is one reason I don't love the idea of people voting for judges, but we're going to vote for judges. 
You, you, dear voter, in order to do your civic duty, have the very difficult task of putting your side your policy preferences, right? Which is not something that you see from any of the, you know, propaganda from either side about any Supreme Court justice ever, right? What typically happens is someone goes, well, this potential justice feels X way about Y policy and you should tell your senator not to vote for them because of this policy. Not the way it's supposed to work. You know, ideally you're going, oh, this person, you know, the way they interpret law or the Constitution kind of jives with how I think they should or they seem like they are of sound character and judgment. So this is a very, very tall order for you, the citizen. But I think it's by design, it is your duty when you're voting for these judges to rise to that occasion. Other things to think about. So rarely do we put a lot of thought into what judge we're going to vote for at the local level. But, you know, in the absolute train wreck that has been the Kavanaugh confirmation process, even long before, you know, personal past was brought into it, it was a train wreck and people's passion about it and their anger and their fear and their frustration shows, of course, how important judges are. And we tend to, much like with the presidential elections, we only really seem to care about judges and who gets onto the court when it's the Supreme Court level. And to some extent, that makes sense because they have strong precedent setting power when they rule on something that comes their way. But holy simoleons, there's only nine of them and they only see a few issues at a time. They are not going to take a look at most issues. Like, it's just not going to happen. Tiny minority. Tiny, tiny minority, because it's literally not possible. They don't have the time. They turn down the opportunity to review most issues that come across the bench. So almost every issue where you care about how the law is interpreted is going to have the like final or the at least for a long time final precedent set by your state level judges or national judges that are a bit lower down. But guess what? You don't get to vote for them. So for the ones you do get to vote for, especially at the state level, they're going to have a real impact on issues that the Supreme Court may never touch. And therefore, you as a voter should probably be far more interested in learning about the, you know, the virtues, vices, talents, and shortfalls of the judges that you will be voting for. Because guess what? Unlike the Kavanaugh nomination, where you have very, very little indirect, diffuse, and maybe almost no power to influence how that goes, you have very direct power to influence how these judge elections go at your local and state level. So go care about it. Go take that passion that you have and do some research, figure out who these people are, make sure that good ones are put in place because whether or not you pay attention, they have a huge impact on the lives of you and your fellow citizens. Yes. And turnout for in particular judge elections are very, very low. Vanishingly small. Yeah, just because no one knows about him, because it's hard to do research on it. But if you find yourself looking at the Kavanaugh hearing and feeling strongly about one side or the other, then you realize that 
you know, who's deciding the law actually matters. And you have a big say in that at the state and local level. So go check out our prior episode on electing judges because we walk through all the details that you need to know about why it even happens and how to go about making these decisions, much like this episode, but only specifically for judge elections. Yeah. So hopefully in 2018, we'll have this small army of reconsider listeners voting with their civic minds for great judges and our judicial system will be stronger for it. That's our hope. And with that, that concludes our little bite-sized episode on midterm mania. We hope we chomp. Yes. Bite-sized chomp. Nom, 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 nom. We hope (laughs) here, here, here's to Jennifer Nutella hashtag nom, nom. Oh, (laughs) calling her out on the show. Yeah. Jennifer high five. We, uh, we hope we have inspired you and excited you to go out and take a look at some of the issues that you, the voter, get to decide on this November a little earlier than you might normally. Because guess what? Your vote will matter a lot more at the state and local level than on the national level. So go do the homework now. Yeah. And as you do that homework, you know, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Do some research, pause, and reconsider. This is Eric signing off. Good luck in the ballot box this November. And this is Xander signing off. We'll see you next time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.